Van, where's my man at? Van, where did Van go? Van, you going to move the podium for me, buddy? Thanks, man. Where did Van go? That's a good art joke. All right, so if you're wondering why it's looking super weird in here this morning, why there's like a whole bunch of people sitting on these front three rows, it's because I emailed the parents uh, two weeks ago and told them that this morning's text was going to be at least in part about children. So I wanted to have all the children front row and center so I can preach to them specifically. Uh, It's so obvious that maybe you might have missed it, but in our text this morning, as Paul is addressing the congregation, he assumes that children are going to be present, right? He's been talking to the gathered church, and he says, wives, okay, this is, and then husbands, and then now he addresses the children. So he expects children to be in the worship service. Now, so that moms don't go crazy, we try to be accommodating. You know, we try to have four and under uh, taken care of in the daycare, but we want to try to, around the age of five, start to practice having kids in worship service with us. Even if they don't understand everything that's being said in a sermon, that doesn't mean that they're not learning and that they're not absorbing. You'd be surprised just how much kids learn and absorb just by sitting with their parents during corporate worship. But this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, if you want to help your kids... Get to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be. For at, least, for at least about 15 minutes, and I'm going to go back up to the podium, and uh, you guys will have me front and center just like I know you want me. All right. And by the way, it's not lost on me that as I'm preaching to the children in this morning's sermon, uh, that Blaine is sitting in the front row. Yeah. Amen. I didn't check my email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let me, let me read the text and then we'll dive in. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word, and it's complete, completely sufficient for all of our lives, including how to be good moms and dads and good children. Amen? Okay. Uh, all right. Good morning, kids. Are you guys with me? Are you with me? Are you paying attention? I got my eyes on you, Henry. I want to know that you're locked in, buddy, okay? Uh, Maddox, you're way in the back. How are you going to hear me from all the way back there? More importantly, how are you going to get candy from all the way back there? Isley... Guys, listen, you know me by now. Just let it go. (laughs) Just let it go. The fact that I call anybody in this church by their right name is a miracle from God. Okay, now if you think that I'm above bribing children to pay attention, bribing them with candy, you're wrong. I bribe adults with candy on Wednesday night, so I'm going to be bribing children as well. Okay, now kids, I want you to know that I know that sometimes church can be a little boring when you're a kid. Okay, I know sometimes it can feel... Like, that's a really long prayer. We sing a lot of songs. Pastor Sean's up there preaching, and he is not ever going to (laughs) stop. But I want you to know that if you grow up to be Christians, when you get older, I think that you're going to see that what happens in this room every single Sunday is one of the most amazing things that happens in the entire universe, okay? So just... Just hang with me, okay, and start, start trying to focus on that now. We're, if you're like, raise your hand if you're like 8 or 9 or 10, somewhere around there. Raise your hand, raise it high, 1, 2, 8, 9, 7, 6. Yeah, you guys, you got this. You can, you're 7, patient, so you got this. You can pay attention. I believe in you. Okay, this morning I want to talk to you about honoring your parents, honoring your parents. Okay, kids, did you know that your parents have a very important job from God? Their job as your parents is to help you become happy, healthy, and holy adults. That's why God gave them to you, to help you become happy, holy, and healthy adults. Now, question, do you think that that's an easy job? What do you think? Is that an easy job, kids? Is your parents' job an easy job? Yes. Maddox, you think it's easy? Yes. Yes. You don't know? For you, probably not. Yet, no, it's not an easy job. No, you know, it's really, it's not that easy. And 
it lasts a really long time, okay? Your mom and dad are going to be your mom and dad as long as you're all still alive, okay? So think about something hard that you've had to do, like maybe a school assignment or doing some chores around the house, you know, maybe you had to mow the lawn or something like that, and you just felt like it was never going to end. Micah, think about the time that you and Cohen were out raking leaves in my yard all the live long day, okay? You thought it was never going to end, and it was so hard, but you know what? It did come to an end. But for your mom and dad, they're going to be your parents, and they're going to have to try to lead you and love you and raise you up forever. And the thing about being a mom and dad is the hard part lasts like 18 years, okay? But your parents do it, and they do it with joy. Your mommy and daddy love you, and they give all of themselves to you. They give you all their time and their energy and their money, and they give up a lot of stuff so that you can have a lot of stuff, but they do it with joy. What do you think? Do your parents do a good job? Yeah? Your parents do a good job? Yeah, I think they do too. But because parenting is such an important job, Bella, and because it's such a hard job, God tells us as kids that we have to honor our parents. It's so hard and it's so difficult and it's so important that it's really helpful for you to honor your parents. Okay, can somebody tell me what it means to honor your parents? Anybody want to try to take a guess? For a piece of candy? Yes, ma'am. Um, I think it means you have to do what they you. You have to do what they tell you. Yes, that's definitely part of it. Good job, baby girl. You have to do what they tell you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. You have to obey them. I think I'll let that one slide, even though you're essentially... You don't care. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We got to... Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want money? <laughs> Did not see that coming. All right. All right, kids, listen. I'm going to tell you what it means to honor your mom and your dad, okay? So listen, I, I, I know we're distracted. Let's try to focus now. Everybody ready? What does it mean to honor your parents? It means that you have to obey them from the heart. Obey them. Yeah, love them, obey them, but you have to do it from the heart. You don't just do everything that your mom and dad say to do, although that's very important, but it also means that you have to do it because you love them and because you respect them. It's not just about what we say, but also about what we feel. It's not just about our actions, but it's also about our attitudes, okay? Now, we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but first I want to ask you guys another question. For another piece of candy for any children that want it, how many commandments are there? Bella. Mm, patience. Ten. Ten commandments. Good job. Hey, you can have this after the service, okay? <laughs> Ten commandments. Okay. Does anybody know what honor your father and mother is? That's one of the Ten Commandments. Does anybody know which commandment it is? Is it commandment number one? Is it commandment number ten? Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy, go ahead. Is it number five? That's really good job, man. How did you know that? Did somebody teach that to you? Did you just guess? All right. He just guessed. Yeah. It's number five. Now, let me, let me tell you guys something that's really cool about the Ten Commandments, okay? The first four commandments are all about loving God. The last five commandments are all about how we love other people. But right there in the middle, number five, we have the commandment, honor your father and mother. That commandment is right there in the middle because as children, the best way that you can love God is by loving your parents. Okay, that's why we have the fifth commandment. Now, did you know that this commandment, which says you do have something that you have to do, you do have to be obedient, it says that it has a promise that comes attached to it. The promise is what? Does anybody know what the promise is? Bella, I appreciate your giddiness. Go ahead, try one more time. You don't know, but you know what? Because you're so willing to participate, I'm going to give you one anyway. Thank you, baby. The promise is that if you obey your parents, if you honor your parents, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Now, I know that may not mean anything to you. Let me tell you what it means, okay? Here's what this promise means. It means that, it doesn't mean that you're going to live to be 100, okay? It doesn't mean that if you honor your parents and do everything that they say to do, you're going to live to be 100. What it means is that your life is going to go well. It's going to be good and not bad as it could be. It's not going to be as hard as it could be. You see, you learn how to exist and live in this world by learning how to exist and live with your parents. 
If you don't learn how to honor your mom and dad, when you get older, it's going to be really hard to honor your boss or to honor the government or to honor other people that you have to honor and that you have to live with, okay? It's very important that you learn how to do that at home so that when you get older and grow up and have other relationships, you're able to thrive in those relationships as well. And if you don't, life's just going to be really hard and really tough for you, okay? Now, the ultimate reason why you're called to obey the Lord, excuse me, called to honor your parents and obey them, is because it's the right thing to do. It's because God has commanded it. And you should know that God takes it very seriously, Bella, patience. He takes it very seriously when we don't honor our parents. I'm going to read a scripture to you from the Old Testament, which sometimes we don't read as much as we should, about children and the way that what happens when they don't honor their parents. It says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reveal his father and mother. Okay. Then it says, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's pretty scary language. And I'm not trying to scare you this morning, and don't worry, I don't, I don't think anybody's mom or dad in here is going to try to put them to death, although some parents do want to reserve that right. What I'm trying to show you here, okay, is that God takes it very, very seriously when we don't honor our parents. It's a really big deal to God, okay? It makes God angry because it's sin. Who can tell me what sin is? Who can tell me? Yes, Maddox. No, Isley. I got it. What's sin? It's when you go against God. That's right. So you have two racked up for whatever you want. If you want to exchange that candy for like tacos later, you just let me know, okay? It's rebellion against God, right? And one of the things that tends to happen, kids, when when we rebel against God in our sin is we tend to rebel against our parents. And that doesn't make God very happy at all. But when we listen to our parents, when we honor our parents, it makes God smile. Okay, listen, listen to this verse. You guys with me? Everybody with me? Everybody tracking? Listen. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. When you obey your parents, when you honor your parents, it makes God very, very happy. Now, I'm going to give you guys a few practical ways that you can honor your parents. Like, if you're like, okay, Pastor Sean, I get it. I'm supposed to honor my mom and dad, but how does that look? What does that look like? Okay, here it is. Number one, you have to speak well of your mom and dad. You have to speak well about them. I know sometimes your mom and dad do things and say things that upset you and you don't understand why they said what they said or did what they did. You don't think it's right or fair. And sometimes you want to respond by saying mean or unkind things about them. Right? I remember I said that sometimes when I was a kid. I remember growing up with friends who would call their mom and dad stupid and other things like that. But that doesn't honor your parents. One of the main ways that you can honor your parents is by when you talk about them, you say good things about them, okay, to your friends, to your family, to your pastor, to anybody who will listen, because I think I know most of your parents, and they all deserve for you to have, they all deserve for you to say really nice things about them. Are you guys with me still? Yeah? Okay, thumbs up? Thumbs up? All right, thanks, guys. Number two, listen to them. Listen to your mom and dad. Your mom and dad are commanded by the Lord to train you and to disciple you and to teach you and to, they have a lot of wisdom that God has given them and it's their job to turn around and give it to you. And so you just need to try to listen. The Bible tells us that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So if you're like maybe one of my children, whenever your parents say something and your first instinct is to argue back with them, you gotta try not to do that and try to remember that your parents know a lot, a lot more than you. And they're not right about everything, but they're right about a lot of things, and you should try to pay attention. Number three, you should obey them. So when I say obey, kids, I don't mean you do what they say and you do it while you're huffing and puffing and stomping and you do it after you back talk or you do it even though you don't really want to. That's that's not real obedience, and that doesn't make your mom and dad happy. Right, mom and dad? That's not what you want from your kids. What we want from our kids is when we tell you to do something, you say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, or whatever the equivalent is in your home, and you do it because you love your mom, and you do it because you love your dad. Jesus told his disciples, his followers, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, okay? And that's what your parents want. They want you, they want to know that you love them, and they want to see an expression of that love through your obedience. Okay, 
Finally, last part. You guys ready? You've done so good. I'm so proud of you guys for hanging in there and being quiet and participating. You're doing great. Last part, okay? You can honor your mom and dad by taking care of them when they get older, right? I know some of you think your mom and dad are already so old they need to be taken care of. They're like 100 years old, right? But they're going to get older. They're going to keep getting older. And when they get older, they're actually going to become more like kids and they're going to need somebody to help them you know, take care of, uh, I tell patients all the time, her and Bella are going to have to help me change my diapers. That's just part of life. You're going to have to do that, okay? Yeah. But you are going to have to help your mom and dad when they get older, okay? You're going to have to help them with your money, with your time. You know, I think about uh, Greg and Olivia Miller. Both of them have parents who are a lot older and who uh, have health issues. Kids, if you want to know what it looks like to honor your parents, look at Mr. Greg, look at Miss Olivia, because they do such a good job of taking care of their parents in their old age. And one day, that responsibility is going to come to you. And don't be like the world that runs away from it and that just tries to put them away in a home somewhere where you don't ever have to talk to them or look at them. Be there to help your parents, to love them and to serve them when they get old. Okay? So are we all going to try our best to honor our mom and to honor our dad? Yes. Yes? There you go. That's the kind of enthusiasm I'm looking for. But now, one more thing I want to tell you kids. You should know that there are a lot of people who aren't Christians who still honor their mom and their dad. Honoring your mom and your dad is not the same thing as being a Christian. What makes us a Christian is when we honor the Lord Jesus Christ above all else in our lives. And then if we do that, hopefully we'll also honor our mom and our dad. Okay, let me pray for the kids. We'll finish this little kid's sermon here. We're going to pray, okay? You guys with me? You going to pray with me? Okay. Hey, can I, can I just have all the kids come up here real quick? Kids, can you just all come up here and let's just, let's just come together and pray together? Come on. Yeah, you too. I know you, you look like a grown man, but you, you're, you're here with us, man. All right, come on up. Come on up. Hey, buddy, come on. Yeah, mommy. Yeah, you're not a mom, but you're dressed like a mom. All right. Come on, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. More, more, more. Henry, come over here with me, buddy. Can, I, can you come with me? All right. Oh, thanks, man. Okay, let's pray, guys. Lord, you tell us that children uh, are a blessing and not a curse, that they're a sweet gift and not a burden. We pray that you would help us to remember that in the life of our church. We pray that you would help us to love our children and to take care of them and to make it easy for them to honor their parents and all of their spiritual aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas in the Lord. And we pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, kids. You guys did a good job. Ben, boom. You got this one, baby? And for all your help, here's a little. Okay. All right. So, my Bible and my drink. Uh, By the way, if you were kind of tempted to tune out on that part, I would recommend that you go back and listen to it again because we're all somebody's child, right? And honoring our mother and our father doesn't end when we leave the home. Obedience might end, but honor never comes to an end. Okay. So I want to start this part of the sermon for the parents by telling you guys that I'm genuinely... Uh, not qualified to preach this passage of scripture, okay? I've been a parent for like seven years, and for empty nesters who have already raised like waves of children up and gotten them out of the home, uh, they'll tell you that seven years isn't that long. Having said that, God's word is sufficient, so I'm just going to try my best to let God's word speak, and I'm just going to try to stay out of the way here, okay? So, so far in the book of Ephesians, Paul has done a lot of don't do this, instead do that. Okay, And he's about to do the same thing with parents. He's about to tell parents, don't provoke your children, but instead raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't do this, instead do that. That sounds pretty easy unless you've tried to do it consistently for a couple of decades and you realize just how difficult it is to not provoke your children and to train them up in the Lord. Now, two weeks ago when I was preaching about wives and submission to husbands from earlier in the chapter, from chapter 5, uh, I ended up talking a lot about husbands and their, the way that they are supposed to love their wives before I even got to those verses. And the reason why is because I think one of the main hindrances to a wife being able to submit to and respect her husband well is the way that the husband leads. The husband does a bad job leading and it makes it really difficult for the wife to submit and respect her husband. 
Well, in the same way, I think that the reason why Paul starts off his exhortation to parents by saying, don't provoke your children, is because one of the main ways that we make it difficult for our children to receive our instruction, to receive our discipline, is because we can so often provoke them. We can, we can get in the way of our own uh, lessons that we teach. So look again at verse 4 real quick. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now the word provoke simply means don't, don't stimulate them in a certain way. Don't cause them to, to feel a certain way. Uh, this is spiritual and emotional, I think, and sometimes it's difficult to untangle those two realities, so I don't think we have to necessarily. Um, as parents, we're not entirely in control of our children's reactions to our parenting, okay? We can do everything perfectly right and our kids can still respond in a certain way. But what, what Paul's getting at here is we need to try to do our best for our part to not do anything that, that might provoke them, okay? So let me give you an example of provocation. Uh, Amber is fairly easygoing as a wife. It's really hard to get under Amber's skin. Um, one of the things that I know does it is when the girls go to get in the back of our truck when I drive them around the neighborhood, as they're climbing the tailgate of the truck to go get into the truck bed, if I ever just tap the gas to kind of, you know, well, knock them off the truck, Amber uh, is terrified that they will fall. Look at it right now. She's about to come apart. She's terrified that they're going to fall and crack their head. Now, I've known that for quite some time, and yet I do it every time, you know? <laughs> and she goes, Sean, with her eyes get I'm not, I'm not playing. And then, of course, it, the more I see that, the more I, I dig into it. And that's sin on my part. And we'll talk about that in a different sermon. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's provocation, okay? I can see that it's bothering her. I can see that it's creating emotional and spiritual distress. And I, I still do that. Now, in this morning's text, Paul says, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. But I think we can probably extrapolate out from there that it's not just anger that we're not supposed to provoke our children to. It's, it's really any kind of negative emotional or spiritual reaction. We're not supposed to cause that in our children. And, and let, me, let me give you one example of why I think that is from a different text. Uh, writing in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Okay, so it seems like in Colossians, as Paul is writing the same kind of command, he's thinking less about anger, more about being discouraged. But the, the principle still applies, right? Don't treat your children in such a way that will negatively impact them spiritually and emotionally. Now, every parent in this room can probably think of uh, a few things that they do to provoke their children. Maybe they're big things, maybe they're little things, but if you know your children as well as you should as a parent, then you know those little things that you do that provoke your children, just like it didn't take me five seconds to think of a way that I provoke my wife. But the reality is, for most parents, we also provoke our children in ways that we don't even realize we're doing. We, we just haven't even considered the fact that in doing that, I may be unnecessarily provoking my child. So I'm just going to give you guys some bullet point examples of what can, what can cause provocation, okay? Excessively severe discipline. I'm going to talk more about discipline later, but excessively severe discipline. Uh, harsh demands. So treating your children like a showbread pony instead of like a human being. Uh, abuse. And here, physical, but also emotional. You know, think about like a lot of dads that you see out on the ball fields when their sons aren't performing up to their aspirations, the way that their dads can talk to those kids. Uh, so I'm hitting dads, mom's coming to you. Uh, nagging can be a source of provocation. Demeaning, making kids feel small. Condemnation, right? Our goal with parenting is not to condemn, but to bring about conviction. We can talk about sin in a way that does one or the other. Uh, humiliating our children, just making it a point to embarrass them. Just being plain mean to them, being overcritical, nothing's ever good enough, and even enabling. Maybe you've never thought about enabling as something that would provoke your children, but, you know, children, the ultimate aim and goal of, for a child is to grow up and become an adult, and parents who enable don't let their children become adults, and that can provoke them as well. Now, let me be clear. 
your child may feel like you're doing these things even if you're not. They may feel like you're being mean or that you're trying to embarrass them or that you're trying to be demeaning even if you're not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you just make sure that you can look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and say with a clear conscience that I've tried not to do these things to my kids. I've tried to avoid these things. I really want to get at the heart of this, this, this idea of provocation. And in order to do that, I want to read you uh, a story that you, you're all familiar with, a very short section from Mark chapter 10. The people were surrounding Jesus, and it says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, I think this is the heart of what it means to provoke our children. To provoke our children is to get in the way of their going to Jesus. It's to get in the way of them and God. And we do it through our parenting. And I think it's a very serious thing. It's something we have to be very careful of because you see Jesus' reaction. He says when he saw it, he was indignant. He was not happy about his disciples getting in the way of the children coming to him. And the same thing is true for us as parents. That dagger-like glint in Jesus' eye that he has towards his disciples when they're keeping children from coming to him, he can have that same look in his eye for us as parents if we, through our parenting, get in the way of our children coming to Jesus. To make you feel a little bit better, maybe, maybe you're feeling the pressure, you're sitting there like, oh, this is killing me. Uh, I, this is not a one-off. Right? I, I don't think Paul has in mind that you know, you, the one time you provoked your child, you really messed everything up. I, I think what he's talking about here is a pattern. Right? Same thing with husbands and wives. Right? What we're looking for is a pattern of sacrificial love, a pattern of submission and respect. And the same thing with parents. We're looking for a pattern of provocation in that relationship, that authority dynamic that's just not good. It's not healthy. If the heart of provocation is getting in between your kids and Jesus, I think the number one way we can provoke our children as parents is by not giving them grace. It's by not giving them the gospel. By raising them up in a way that doesn't actually point to Jesus. Right? When you look at the cross, you see that God struck the perfect balance of justice and mercy. And as parents, that's what we should be striving for in our homes with our children. Too much mercy and you will provoke your children to lawlessness. Too much justice and you will drive your children to despair. This is not an easy balance to strike and so we need to pray that the Lord would give us wisdom and that we can constantly be pointing back to the gospel as we raise our children. Point number two, uh, and I didn't say that there was a point number one, but there it is, you got it by implication. Point number two, Discipline and instruct. This is, these are actually going to be two points. Uh, yeah, the first one's going to be uh, on instruction. So, so the negative is we shouldn't provoke. Okay, but what should we do? We need to, we need to discipline and instruct. Uh, I think these are just two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, instruction is proactive on the front end of things. You're teaching, training, forming your children. Discipline is corrective. You're coming behind helping them to, to, giving them the feedback mechanism to help them see that they haven't really learned and understood and absorbed everything that you've tried to give them. So this is the unending cycle of parenting. We teach, 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 and then celebrate if they get it, correct if they don't, and then we start the process all over again. If you're wondering why Paul says that uh, elders in the church need to be able to manage their own household well, I think part of the reason is because in your own household, you're in this constant practice of teaching and then celebrating or correcting and then doing it all over again. And that's what it's like to be a pastor in the church. Okay, so here's the next point, instructing. The main thing that we are giving our children is God's word. That, that's what it means to to instruct your children in the Lord or to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the same way that, that the Lord has given evangelists and prophets and preachers and teachers to the church as a gift in order to see the church built up as we saw in chapter four, so too God gives children parents to instruct. 
My job as a pastor is to give you God's word so that it builds you up. Your job as parents is to give your children God's word so that God's word builds your children up. I don't think I can overstate this next point, but I'll try. We have to remember that our words, even our best words, cannot give life to our children. I don't care how much accumulated wisdom you have, you know, how many pithy southern sayings you have from your grandpa and your grandma and what old Mr. Jim used to say back in the day. I mean, all that stuff is good and it's helpful and we, it's, we can use it to shape and mold the character of our children, but those words can't give our children life. The only thing that can ever give anyone life anywhere is God's word. So it's vitally important that the main thing that we give our children is not our own fallen wisdom, but rather the wisdom of God is found in the word of God. One of the main reasons why so many kids grow up in the church and then move away and go to college and just immediately abandon their faith is because they were raised up with a lot of, well, this is what we say in the SBC and, and this is what your mom says. And, you know, we're, we're giving people the instruction of the Miller family, of the DeMars family, of the whatever family, instead of the instruction of the Lord. And then they move away and all of a sudden mom and dad aren't there. Those authorities and those structures and those, it's just not there anymore. Well, now they have the word of their English teacher and the word of their philosophy department head and the word of their friends, and you're not around anymore to discipline them and to keep them in line and to keep them obedient. And now all of a sudden, because you didn't ground your teaching in the word of the Lord, Satan comes along and says, has God really said? And then their faith foundation begins to crumble. But if we root everything that we say and do as parents in God's word, our foundation can be stronger than you'll do as I say because you live under my roof. Listen to what Paul says uh, to what he calls his beloved children in, in uh, Philippi. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. Parents, isn't that what we want for our children? Whether we're here with you or whether you're gone away to college, you've moved up, moved on, you got a family, we want to know that whether you're here with us or you're somewhere else, that you're standing firm in the Lord. The only way that we can hope to have that is if our teaching for them is grounded in more than because I said so. Okay. Next little sub-point here is it's about the how of our teaching. So that's the what of our teaching. We ha- now we have the how of our teaching. We just need to make sure that our actions are not out of sync with our words, right? Um, a family that pays lip service to Jesus but doesn't actually follow Jesus in the home, you're just not going to get anywhere. You know, a family that says, yeah, we love the Lord, but then you don't ever go to church and make time to be gathered with his people and listen to his word and so on and so forth. It's just you're undermining what you're trying to teach your children with your words, with your lifestyle. Kids pick up on hypocrisy better than anyone else. It's incredible to see. You know, I have this uh, not good tendency to not buckle my seatbelt, but I obviously tell my kids to buckle my seatbelt. How long do you think it takes for my kids to see that my seatbelt isn't buckled? I mean, they see it immediately. Dad, you told us to buckle our seatbelt, but your seatbelt isn't buckled, Right? They, they note the hypocrisy. Now, little things like that, they, you know, it kind of registers instantly and you'll, they'll say it and you'll joke about it. And, you know, there'll be a little power struggle. Like, she can't make me buckle my seatbelt. But there's a deeper hypocrisy that can take place in our lives spiritually that maybe your kids don't recognize it in a moment. Maybe they don't recognize it for a couple of decades. And maybe they, they're too afraid to say something to you about it. Maybe they'll never say anything to you about it. Maybe they'll just abandon the faith. Because you were supposed to be their representation of God. That's a heavy burden to bear. And I'm not trying to say that if you don't do everything right, your kids won't be Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that we should strive to be consistent. Because our lack of consistency can really undermine our our, our children's faith. But if we try to strive for consistency, then the words we say may actually stick a little better as we say them. What we're talking about here, parents, is not perfection, but consistency. 
And that's what we're aiming for. Next little subpoint here is our own instruction, right? Uh, we have to be learning Christ so that we can give Christ to our children. All parents are in the constant process of receiving and then redistributing. It's just happening all the time. You're receiving, redistributing, receiving, redistributing. So you have to be very careful about what you receive. You have to be very intentional about what you receive. You have to ask yourself, what am I taking into my life? Am I taking in God's wisdom, God's word, God's love, his grace, the fullness of the gospel, the whole counsel of God? Or am I taking in the junk that this world has to offer, that it's just pumping out, free of charge, all the time, readily available. If you don't have anything spiritually, you can't give your children anything at all. So make it a point to invest in yourself and invest in your soul. Finally, uh, I just want to make this point. Uh, parents, it is your job to be the primary disciplers of your children. It's your job. It's not my job. I'm one of the people who should be helping you to disciple your children, but it's your primary job to disciple your children, right? Deuteronomy 6, that, which our sister so powerfully, thank you, Teresa, for reading that for us. The reason why I asked you to read this Sunday is because you have a legacy of faithfulness, sister, and I'm just so thankful for you. So you have done Deuteronomy 6. You've raised your children up in the ways of the Lord. You talk about them when you rise up in the morning and when you walk by the way and when you lay down at night, Right? But what you see there is there's this comprehension vision for Christian discipleship for children, and it's, it's, not the par- it's not the pastor. It's not the youth pastor. You will not find a hint of a youth pastor in the Bible. You, even by way of implication, it's still pretty difficult to get there. But what you see explicitly over and over again in the Bible is a clear command to parents. Parents, train your children in godliness. And then praise God, if you're part of a healthy church community, they get to hear that training echoed over and over again as they sit in Sunday morning services, as they go to Sunday school, on Wednesday nights, maybe at church camps when you go to dump them off in the summer so you don't have to deal with them for a couple of hours. You know, you just, they get that same message echoed over and over again, but it has to be an echo. They shouldn't hear it the first time from some youth pastor from some other church who's putting on a vacation Bible school. Okay. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, it's a little too late. My kids are a little old and I haven't really done the best job up till now. It's never too late. That's what I, you know, you've been married for 30 years and you, man, I've, I've, been, a, I've been a bad husband. I'm reading God's word and I feel like for the last 30 years I've kind of let my wife down. It doesn't matter. Today is a day of salvation. You can have a turning point today and start doing a better job of training your children in the Lord. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation from your pastor or from the people of this church. Just say, hey, you know what? I haven't done the best job, but now I see it in God's word and I'm gonna try harder. And by the way, can somebody help me? And we will all with one voice say, yes, of course we will. We are here to love you and to serve you and to help you raise your children as it says in our church covenant, right? All right, next point, discipline. There are millions and billions and trillions of books out there about how to raise your kids. And there are thousands upon thousands of books about how to discipline your kids. Uh, And even if you just narrow it down to the Christian books on discipline, there are still just so many different books and almost none of them say the same thing. And a lot of them are really unhelpful. So, uh, So how are we supposed to think well about disciplining our children? Well, I, I actually, I don't have it all figured out. But I, I do want to give you six principles from the book of Ephesians, uh, excuse me, from the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles open, just flip on over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. These are going to be pretty rapid fire. I'm just trying to in, in 10 minutes or so, give you a, a good theology of what discipline is from God's word. Because I think for a lot of us, we think discipline just means spanking. Or we think about it like, you know, the drill sergeant gives his cadets discipline. So let's just let God's word shape us. Number one, 
Discipline is an expression of love. Discipline is an expression of love. So in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 6, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So if you think to discipline your child is unloving, incorrect. To fail to discipline your child is unloving. And it tells your child you're not a legitimate child. Number two, discipline is not optional. If we love our children, we will discipline them. So just a few verses after that, we read, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you do not experience discipline like everyone else, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So it's clear from from the the book of Hebrews that any father or mother who really cares about their children will have discipline built into their parenting. Number three, discipline is unpleasant for the child. It should go without saying, but I'm going to say it. For the moment, says the author of Hebrews, all discipline seems painful. This is in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Actually, that's a different translation. No, that's, no, that's actually right. Okay. Number four. Discipline produces fruit in the long run. Okay? The pain of discipline in whatever form it takes will pay dividends in righteousness. So he says... For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and then he keeps going, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? So, what you're looking for in your children is not an event. I know that we've been trained by like altar call, southern altar call church culture that what we're looking for in our children is an event. We want them to have an epiphany. We want their preacher to say something or mom and dad to say something and then everything's going to snap into focus and they're going to say, you know what? I got it, mom. I got it, dad. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. And you know what? Sometimes that does happen. And if it does, praise God. But you should know that that's the exception that usually proves the rule that it doesn't happen like that. It's a process. So as you discipline your children, just recognize the fact that you're looking for like a decade from now to see the fruit of righteousness that's borne out by your discipline. You're not looking for a day from now, but a decade from now. I've been trying to teach my kids to say thank you and you're welcome since the day that they could talk and I still haven't gotten there yet. But I know that we're gonna get there. It's a process and it will bear the fruit of righteousness. Number five, Discipline is dangerous. Discipline is dangerous. It's dangerous because uh, the way that we discipline our children is a reflection of God. Dads, this is you especially. The way that you parent your children is a very strong communicator of what God is like. I mean, you're teaching your kids what God is like as you read the Bible and as you pray with them and as you bring them to church, but the way that you are a father to your children teaches your children what their heavenly father is like. So the author of Hebrews says this in verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So you see here in the, in the mind of the author of Hebrews, there's a connection between the, the discipline of the Father and the discipline of our Heavenly Father. There's a real connection there. We've already addressed one danger of discipline, namely the failure to do it, but now we need to address the opposite danger, and that's abuse. Abuse is not discipline. I say this as a child who was raised up in a home where I was physically abused almost every day of my life until I was old enough to escape. Spanking your kid is one thing. Hitting your kid with a rod in the face is another thing. Yelling at your kid in a moment where you lose your temper and you're exasperated and you yell and then you go back and apologize, that's one thing. 
But emotionally abusing your child, calling them foul and nasty names is another thing. You know, it's a very fine line between abuse and discipline. And we as Christians especially have got to be careful in how we walk that line. Now I know that we live in a world where like if somebody sees you spanking your kid at Walmart, they might call child protection services on you. And I'm not saying you need to let that keep you from spanking your kids if you guys believe in spanking your kids, okay? And I, I wanted to, as I was working through this, like give you a definition of abuse. But it's so hard. It's so hard because you want to connect it to pain, but Almost all abuse causes pain for our children. But I think, I think we should think about it in the same way that the Supreme Court thought about pornography. They were really struggling to come up with a definition of pornography when they were trying to w- figure out whether or not they were going to ban it in America. And they said, we know pornography when we see it. And I think the same thing is true of abuse. But the th- you see, the thing that's really difficult about saying that is what your grandparents thought was pornographic, you may think is totally normal now. Sometimes our perception changes with the culture, and that's not good. And so what you might have thought of as discipline could actually be abuse, and what you think of as abuse could actually be discipline. So I don't really have like a one-sentence answer to give you, but I'll tell you, if you're a member of this church, somebody will pipe up if we hear about you abusing your children, and our first priority is to protect children. So if you just have any questions as a mom or a dad, like, hey, am I doing this right? Am I walking this line? I'm I'm worried that I might have crossed the line when I spanked last week. Just come and talk to somebody. Ask one of the myriad of parents here who have done a good job of raising up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Come to me if you're too embarrassed to go to another church member. Come to me or another elder, and we'll just try to help you make sure that you're disciplining your children well um, and in such a way that, that teaches them that God is a God of love, not a God of abuse. Having said that, if we do find out that there's any abuse, like real legitimate ongoing patterns of abuse in this church, we will call the police. We will report you and you will go to jail. Same thing is true if we find out that there's any abuse in the children's ministry in this church. You should also know that we go to great lengths to make sure that nobody who serves in children's ministry has any opportunity to abuse children because we take it very seriously. If you have any more questions about that, feel free to talk to me or one of the elders after service or shoot us an email. Guys, we're wrapping it up. I know that this morning's sermon has been a little long, but you're all doing great. If I could give each of you of candy like I did the children, I would. Number six, not all discipline is the same. So let's just consider spanking, okay? Uh, I knew a guy who took off his belt and spanked his 18-year-old son. That's, that seemed very weird to me. Especially because I believe that not all spanking, not all discipline has to involve a spanking. I think it can and it often should, especially when children are younger and they don't have their reasoning faculties fully developed. They just need to know like, oh, I do that, ow, it hurts, I'm not going to do that anymore. But as your children grow and they learn how to think and communicate, there, there needs to be kind of a shift there away from the, the physical pain more towards uh, a reasoning discipline, you know, taking the door off the room, removing the television, not letting them take the car out to the prom, that sort of thing. But not all discipline is the same. Some kids can't be spanked. You think about some cases of adoption and foster parents. Some kids shouldn't be spanked. You think about children with some, developmentally, uh, some developmental disorders, they probably just shouldn't be spanked. Some kids just don't respond to spanking as well as they do other forms of discipline. You know, uh, I can share certain examples. I don't want to just pick on my own kids. But imagine some child out there somewhere who doesn't respond to a spanking at all, but if you tell them they're not going to have dinner that night, well, that discipline is very real. Not all discipline is the same. I need to tighten up on our discipline. In order to help you understand this connection between instruction and discipline, I want to show you something really cool. Last week, last week in, in chapter 5, verse 29, we saw that Christ nourishes the church. And then he, husbands are supposed to nourish their wives, right? That's that one word that's used there, nourish. Well, that is the same word that's used here in our verse today. You just don't see it in your English Bibles. But if you go back to Ephesians, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, and it says... Uh, in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
that word, that phrase, bring them up, that in the Greek, that's only one word. It's the same word from 529. It's the word nourish. So nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the mind of Paul, both instruction, proactive, discipline, corrective, both of those things are tools that are used to nourish your children and grow them up into the Lord. So think about it this, in, in this way. You, you want to you plant a tree in your yard. Will's probably going to do this with his new house. He's probably going to plant a tree. You, you, you till the soil, right, Will? No, Will's not down with the tilling. But you, you make a hole for the seed. Okay. You water it. You fertilize it. If you're one of those weird people who's like way too into gardening, you like talk to your plants and you play music. To, did I just offend somebody? I saw a couple of looks sideways glances. You, you talk to your plants and you play music for your plants. You trim your plants. You prune your plants. You protect your plants from animals and insects. And then you even provide structure for your plants. So you think about those trees that they plant and they put like the stake in the ground and then they tether the tree to the stake so that it has structure as it grows up. You nourish that tree from the time that it's a seed until one day the tree is mature and able to stand on its own without any help from you, the gardener. That's what we're trying to do as parents. All of us as parents want our kids to be good and upstanding members of society. But as Christians, our ultimate aim is eternal. We don't just want our kids to be happy, we want our kids to be holy. We don't just want our kids to be smart, we want them to be wise. We don't just want our kids to be healthy, we want them to be saved. And more than anything, we want for, for the Lord to be honored in the lives of our children. And it's our job to nourish them to that end. Paul gave husbands and wives gospel obligations, I mean marriage obligations, then he gave them gospel motivations. Well, I don't want to leave here today as parents without giving you guys some some gospel motivations, a way that you can be empowered in the gospel uh, to raise your children well. And I think the biggest gospel motivation for our kids is for them to see our faithfulness in the gospel as, as, as they can see how it's impacted our own lives. So in Ephesians 5, chapter 1, Paul tells the, the Ephesians, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. So all of you Christians, all of you adults, you are God's children. So imitate God like a little boy who looks at his dad and goes, I want to be just like you. That's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. If you're doing that as a father and as a mother, then your children will look at you and imitate you as you imitate Christ. That's the pattern. We have to honor and obey our father in word and deed. And we have to love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And if we imitate him and our children imitate us, I think we can have good hope for our children's souls. Let's pray. Father, this is a a weighty thing and we don't take it lightly. We pray that you would uh, blow the winds of grace in our sails. Empower us with your mercy. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us up for the task at hand. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Stand and sing together, Great is Thy Faithfulness.